We're going to read tonight from the Word of God, and we're reading from the book of Daniel, and Daniel chapter 6, and I'm going to read together the first 17 verses of the chapter. Please follow with me in the scripture reading as it comes up on the screen. Let's hear the Word of God. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, reading, of course, from the authorized version. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom an hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find on occasion or at fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king, and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, and the counselors, and the captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute, and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree, and sign the writing that it be not changed, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day, and prayed, and gave thanks before his God, as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled, and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree, Hast thou not signed a decree that every man shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they, and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establishes may be changed. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel, and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. 
And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. We know that the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of part of Daniel chapter 6. Now this evening, we are continuing with our series of expository sermons in the book of Daniel. And my text tonight is Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. It reads as follows. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. And my theme tonight is the key to Daniel's prayer life. I want you to think of Daniel kneeling in prayer, and I believe that was the key principle in the life of Daniel. Now, Daniel 5 informs us that on the night that Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, was slain, remember he was the last king of the Babylonian empire, that on that night Darius the Mede took the kingdom at the age of 62. You'll find that information in Daniel chapter 5, verse 31. Daniel 6 then records Daniel's rapid rise to power in this newly formed kingdom of the Medes and Persians. I want you to understand tonight that Daniel is approximately 80 five to 88 years of age. He's an older man now. Darius the Mede has appointed 120 princes to help rule his kingdom. It's obvious that the 127 provinces of the Babylonian Empire have been reduced to 120. And he has appointed these 120 princes to, to govern and help him to rule. And over these 120 princes, he has appointed three presidents. And one of them was Daniel the prophet. And not only was Daniel one of these three presidents, but it says in the scriptures of whom Daniel was the first. And here's the reason that the princes might give accounts unto them and that the king should have no damage. You see, this promotion posed a threat to Daniel's peers and ultimately to Daniel's own life. And if you read Daniel chapter 6, 1 to 9 carefully, you'll discover a sequence of events which gave uh, uh, rise to a conspiracy against Daniel. Uh, a law was hastily introduced which would make Daniel a criminal and a lawbreaker in the eyes of man, and eventually sentenced him to the death penalty, which was be thrown into the den of lions. Darius, out of concern, of course, for corruption uh, among the princes of his 120 provinces, he wanted accountability in case, of course, that his princes would steal from him and enrich themselves, which was likely going to happen. And Daniel was selected not only to be one of the presidents to whom the 120 princes were accountable, but Daniel was made the principal president. In other words, he had overall accountability. 
And we're told in the scriptures that then this Daniel preferred above the presidents and princes. Why? Because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Of course, this made Daniel public enemy number one. His promotion, his rise to prominence among certain Medes and Persians gave rise to a serious consternation. Truth be told, they were jealous of Daniel. He was a man of honesty, a man of ability, a man of integrity, a man of humility, a man who could not be bought, a man who would not be deceived, a man who could not be corrupted. His enemies searched and tried hard, but they could find nothing to lay a charge against Daniel. This man seemed flawless. He, he, he was faithful to Darius the Mede, and his obedience to the law of the Medes and Persians was indeed unsurpassed and, and excellent. He was a man of wisdom, a man whom God was with, a man who God had favored and put into this position. So his enemies decided to bring in a new temporary law, and the law was this, that no one could pray to any other god than to Darius the Mede. And if they did, they would be cast into the den of lions. It was presented to Darius in Daniel 6 and verse 6. A delegation was dispatched and they urged him to um, sign the writing. And they told him that because this was the law of the Medes and Persians, it could not be changed. Now remember the chief motivation to get this writing signed was to have something in Daniel. Look at Daniel 6 and 5. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. This was an act of dehumanization against Daniel. You see, they decided to discredit Daniel in his relationship to the law of his God. They decided that they wanted to pass this new law, which was designed, of course, to lead to Daniel's death. They had decided, the other presidents, the other two, and the 120 princes, that they must do away with this Daniel. Even though they knew the king liked and favored Daniel, they, of course, I believe, deceived the king. This delegation that was sent pretended that they were speaking for and representing all of the 120 princes, possibly even including Daniel. They, they may even have passed this law among themselves in Daniel's presence, or at least discussed it. They put the proposal to the king that it was in his best interest to sign, that this was a help to establish his rule. And after all, it was just a temporary rule for 30 days. The writing was signed and sealed according to the law of the Medes and Persians. And then we read in chapter 6, verse 10, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he did aforetime. I want you to understand tonight that this sixth chapter records one of the most familiar and well-known stories in the life of Daniel, namely Daniel thrown into the den of lions. We'll preach on that next week in the will of God. But ask yourself first, why was Daniel thrown into the den of lions 
in the first place. Remember, this was the death penalty in the land of the kingdom of the Median Persians. And the answer is simply this. He refused to stop praying to his God. When you think of the life of Daniel, remember he's a man of purpose. He proposed in his heart not to defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. He was a man of purity and integrity and moral uprightness. He was a man, of course, who was a prophet. Remember his prophecies? But he was primarily and principally a man of prayer. And I believe that that was the key to Daniel's life. Daniel was a man of prayer. Daily he prayed three times. And that's what the little chorus says. And I believe that Daniel 6 and 10 is a summary of his life. And these verses, or this verse, Daniel 6 and 10, is one of the best known even among the children and the young people. Think of these princes plotting against him. This decree that was signed. It was against the law of his God. And what did Daniel do? Well, we read this, that he prayed. You think tonight of the changes in our day and generation. You think of the desecration of the Lord's day, the breaking of the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy by the multitudes that live in the United Kingdom and the English-speaking world and elsewhere. You think about the introduction of abortion since 1967 in this United Kingdom. Nine million little babies to the sacrifice to the goddess of sexual pleasure. You think of businesses open for trading on the Sabbath day and those pushing for a further relaxation of trading laws. You think of the introduction of Sunday sport. You think of the push for the redefining of marriage contrary to the law and mind of God. And you think tonight, add into this, the vilifying of any who object to abortion, who object to homosexuality, who object to transgender issues, who object to Sunday trading, who object to Sunday sport. And isn't it classified today that we're almost guilty of having a hate speech? Isn't hate crime in the statute books now? And I believe it's against freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And it's all been designed by the enemies of the gospel to find an occasion against the child of God in relation to the law of his God. So why did Daniel end up in the den of lions? Here's the answer. He prayed to the Lord his God. And I believe his prayer life is the greatest example that you'll find in all of the scriptures. And I want you to think of this summary tonight. Daniel kneeling in prayer. The key to Daniel's prayer life was this. That he knelt in prayer before the Lord as God. Even under threat and pain of death. I want you to think of a few things tonight. I want you to think first of all of Daniel's desire for prayer. It says in verse 10, if you look at it very carefully, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, it says in the text, he went into his house, notice the words in the text, and prayed. Now we'll pause there. You see, there's nothing more important in the Christian's life than the subject of prayer. Do you know that the desire and decision to pray 
is an evidence that you're saved by the grace of God, that you're born again of the Holy Spirit. You see, if you're born again of the Holy Spirit and indwelt by the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who resides within you, one of the things that he will lead you to do is that he will lead you to pray and cry unto God. Listen to Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. That's the Holy Spirit, that we are the children of God. It says in Romans 8 and verse 26 and 27, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You see, it's the Holy Spirit in us that prompts us to pray, that produces prayers in us. The book of Jude talks about praying in the Holy Ghost. And it's the Holy Ghost that helps us to pray according to the will of God. The Lord Jesus said that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Remember he said in Matthew 6 and verse 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, dealing with the subject of the religious act of prayer, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. He assumed that every true believer in Christ would have a desire created within them by the Spirit of God to cry unto God in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, we read, pray without ceasing. In Acts 9 and 11, we read of the apostle Paul, when he was converted, behold, he prayeth. You see, before he said prayers, prayers that were ritualistic, prayers that were like Pharisees, because they prayed in the street corners to be seen of men. They made long prayers. They, 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 they made long noises. But now for the first time in Paul's life, it wasn't a ritualistic prayer to be seen of men. It says in the scriptures, behold, he prayeth. And I want to stress this tonight. Listen to me carefully. If you have no desire to pray, if there's nothing in your life that prompts you to get alone with God and to meet with him and to seek his face and, and speak to him personally and let him speak to you out of the scriptures, then I would suggest to you that it's possible that you're not yet truly born again of the Spirit, that you're not a true believer. Because one of the great evidences that you're born of God, born from above, born of the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit creates within you a desire to pray and seek the face of the Lord. God says, seek ye my face. And the response of the psalmist was, thy face, Lord, will I seek. And I believe, of course, this is a truth that set forth in the word of God. If you tonight have true faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then... That establishes us then on the pathway to learn to talk to the Lord in an attitude and in a state of prayer. So if tonight you're truly saved and genuinely born again of the Holy Spirit and redeemed by the blood of Christ and uh, experience and know God's great salvation, 
then you ought to have a heart's desire to pray and fellowship with the God of heaven. Ask yourself tonight, why did Daniel pray? Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and what did he do? It says, and prayed. I want you to see that. It was because he was a saved man. It was because he loved the Lord. He didn't pray out of ritual. It was not merely a religious exercise or duty. Daniel genuinely loved the Lord. He, he is called by the God of heaven in this book, a man greatly beloved. And as a true child of God, he sought the face of his God in prayer. And my point is this tonight. Those that are truly converted should have, will have, must have a desire to pray. As a child of God, they have the wonderful privilege of coming before the throne of grace and speaking to God in an attitude of prayer. Now let me apply this. Do you have a desire to pray, to get alone with God? If not, there's only one of two possibilities. One, either you're not saved, never been born again, or two, you're, you're badly backslidden. You see, I believe that every true child of God will have a desire to pray. Think of those words of Christ, Matthew 6 and 6. When thou prayest, enter into thy closet. You see, he assumed that there'd be a desire created within them to pray. And my point is this, if you have no desire, if, you, if you've never called on the Lord, if you've no thought of, of talking to the Lord on a daily basis, then it's highly possible you're not a true child of God, that you're not genuinely saved. And you need discernment. Do you know why? Because the Bible says, make your calling and election sure. Daniel had a desire for prayer. I want you to think, secondly, Daniel's description of prayer. Now, how did he pray? Well, here's the answer. Think about the place of prayer. It says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed. The first thing he did was he got alone with God. He went to his secret place. There had to be a place in his house, in his bedchamber, where Daniel prayed. Remember, he was a public figure. He held political office in the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. He was the, the chief president of the three. He was in charge, therefore, of not only the other two presidents, but of the 120 princes in the provinces. A very prominent position. He was a very busy man. Remember, he's an older man, about 85, 88 years of age. Yet he spent time in prayer. He retreated to his house. He retired from public duty to pray. He wanted to spend time alone with God. And was not the point of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and 6. He says... But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet and shut thy door and pray to thy father in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. You see, the Lord Jesus was teaching his disciples, don't pray like the Pharisees. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't stand in street corners. Don't make a long pretense of prayer to be heard and seen of men. But when you pray, when you have private prayer, then withdraw aside into the secret place. Shut the door, meaning shut out the world. 
And whether it's in your bedroom tonight or whether it's in a shed or whether it's in a, a study in your house. I, I don't have a study in the house, but I, I have the porta cabin here at the church. I also have the church available to me. You see, we all need a secret place, a place where we can get alone with God. Peter, in the house of Simon the Tanner, went to the rooftop. The Lord Jesus was often in the mountaintop as a solitary figure in prayer. He also had the Garden of Gethsemane. You see, it's a vital aspect of the Christian's prayer life to have a secret place to pray in. Many today, sadly, are too busy to give themselves to prayer. But we must examine our own hearts. How much time do you spend in prayer? Praying for yourself, your family, your church, your country. And contrast that with how much time we spend with the television. If the TV's a problem, get rid of the TV. How much time do you spend in the internet? How much time do you spend in your hobbies? And doing other things. You see, sadly, we have to be honest before God. We spend so little time in real prayer, in secret prayer, praying to the God in secret. Remember the Lord Jesus asked his disciples, what could you not watch with me one hour? And here's Daniel's description in prayer. He thought of the secret place, the place of prayer. I want you to think also of the publicity in prayer. It says, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. Now think of this. I believe that Daniel didn't have opportunity to protest against the law signed to Darius the king. So there was no way to avoid obedience to it without compromising his relationship with the Lord. He was therefore willing to be seen as a lawbreaker against the law of man rather than against his God. We ought to obey God rather than man. The issue now is a matter of law, so it's public policy, it's public practice. So any violation of that had to be public. Private obedience would be seen as being hypocritical. It could hinder his testimony in God. It was necessary for him to be consistent. He was in the lifelong habit of praying towards Jerusalem. His enemies knew this. We read in verse 11, then these men assembled. Where did they assemble? Outside Daniel's house. They were watching the windows. They were listening and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. They may not have seen him. I believe they heard him. You see, the enemies knew that he would pray with his windows open toward Jerusalem. Because that's exactly what 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 20, right through to verse 39, teach. And the children of Israel were informed if they found themselves in captivity, and that they prayed and repented of their sin, and prayed toward Jerusalem and the house of the Lord, it would be an indication that they were praying in faith. Believing that the God of heaven, as he promised, would hear and answer their prayer. So it was necessary for Daniel to be consistent. And this law, of course, was inconsistent with God's law. It was contrary to it. So Daniel felt that he must publicly violate this inconsistent law. And I believe that was the primary reason that his prayer was public. We ought to obey God 
rather than men. And here's another description of his prayer. Not only did he go to the place, but you have to think of his publicity at this time. The windows were open. Men could hear him praying and making supplication before his God. I want you to think of the period of prayer. The text says, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed. Psalm 55 verse 17 teaches us in relation to the psalmist, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Did Daniel learn from David? I believe he did. Daniel just didn't pray on special occasions. He didn't pray when hard and difficult times come. He didn't pray just when he was having a bad day. He didn't pray whenever um, the, the, the sometime thought came into his mind. He was in a regular habit in his life. Remember, he's a politician. Remember, he's a government employee. He is a busy, full schedule. He, he, he is um, next to Darius the Mede in accountability. But he never excused himself from private prayer. Not daily. He didn't miss out. Noon, the evening, and the morning. Let me ask the question tonight. I say this to my own heart. What excuses do we make when it comes to prayer? Do we not make many? I believe that Daniel's enemies knew what he would do. They had already studied his life and character. They could not find fault with him. They knew he couldn't be bribed or bought. They knew he couldn't be corrupted. They, they knew they could only find fault with him in relation to his religion and the law of his God. So they knew that they would find him in prayer. Let's ask this question tonight to our hearts. What about you and I? How often do we pray? If men ought always to pray and not to faint, think of the parable of the widow. Not just in days of trouble when trials come or the death of a loved one. The Bible encouraged us to pray without ceasing. It was Spurgeon that he said he never went 15 minutes without prayer. But he never prayed for more than 15 minutes at any one time. In other words, he was constantly in a mindset for prayer. And isn't there an urgent need for special periods in our prayer life? Is that our desire? Is that our decision? Is that our discipline tonight? It was the great revivalist Andrew Murray that said, no prayer, no blessing. And why has the church got no blessing today? Is it because of no prayer? Remember, prayerlessness is a sin. Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Andrew Murray went on to say, little prayer, little blessing. Much prayer, much blessing. You see, some people do not pray three times a day. Some Christians don't pray three times a week. Some Christians don't pray three times a month. Some professing Christians don't even pray three times a year. They've got to be honest now. You be honest. Let me be honest with you. Are we not all so different from Daniel? And this prayer life that he was experiencing put him in danger? He was not guilty of wild living. He was not guilty of criminality. He was not guilty of murder or evil deeds. He wasn't leading a riot or breaking windows. A law had been passed banning prayer for 30 days. Could you imagine a law being passed in Northern Ireland banning private prayer, banning public prayer, with the threat of being jailed and you became aware of it and you realize that you're in danger? 
your family, your wife and children are put in danger, what would you do? Well, here's Daniel, and he had this period in his day. He was habitually noon, the evening, and the morning, giving himself to prayer. Think of his posture in prayer. The Bible says here, he kneeled upon his knees. I, I like that. Sometimes I stand to pray. Other occasions I sit. I've never lain prostrate before the Lord on the floor, but I have kneeled in prayer. And I believe kneeling in prayer is good. We can shut out every distraction. We're humbling ourselves before the Lord. We're, we're taking the place of the penitent. We, we, we're coming, as it were, as a beggar before a great king who can reward us openly with, with great mercy. Now, the Bible doesn't have any one set of posture and prayer, so let's not get bogged down. If Daniel kneeled in prayer and you want to follow that, then do that. But, but if, if you want to stand or you want to sit or you want to lie, then whatever posture you're in, I believe the Lord's cry, is, his ear is open to your cry. Could I suggest also there's praise and prayer? This is another part of the description. It says, and give thanks before his God. We're going to pause there. What did Daniel thank God for? Did he thank God that God is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and know of them that trusteth in him? Did he give thanks that God is faithful and true to his people in time of need? That God is merciful? That, that God hears and answers prayer? That, that, that God's our help in ages past and hope for years to come? You see, this was a dark hour for the people of God. A law had been passed. Forbidding prayer, banning prayer. This was a serious, critical time. This was a deliberate, painful onslaught against the Lord and his cause and his people. And it put the life of Daniel and the people of God in danger. And yet Daniel was found praying. And the Bible tells us, and gave thanks before his God. He thought it wise to, to introduce thanks to the Lord. He wasn't full of woe. He wasn't full of fear and full of complaint. Daniel was full of praise. I believe he did praise God for his goodness and mercy. Let's ask the question tonight, if prayer involves praise, then what have we to praise the Lord for? Can we not praise the Lord for the gift of life and remember that he's the God in whose hand our breath is? Can we not praise God for health and strength? Can we not praise God for all his temporal and material provision? Can we not praise God for the gift of salvation? Can we not praise God for the gift of his son, the gift of the scriptures, the gift of the Sabbath, the gift of the spirit, the gift of the saints? Can we not praise God for the opportunity to serve him? What about the opportunity to, to suffer for him? Remember the apostles thought it, they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ in Acts chapter 4. Think of the apostles in prison. Others were in danger of being put to death. There was a loss of possessions. There was separation from family. And yet they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer so much for the name of Christ. The Bible teaches us be thankful unto him and bless his name. And we can be thankful that the Lord has saved us and the Lord has blessed us and the Lord is with us. And remember Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, And be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And think also of Daniel's purpose in prayer. It says, as he did aforetime. You see, that was a sign of Daniel being faithful to God. He knew all about the decree. He knew about the consequences. Remember, he's a man of purpose, a man of purity, a man of prophecy. He's a man of prayer. But he was steely determined to maintain communion with the Lord as God. He would rather lose his life and his liberty rather than deny the Lord. You could argue, Daniel, it's only 30 days. Daniel, close your windows. Daniel, take a holiday. Daniel temporarily quit praying for those 30 days. But I believe Daniel, as an old man, wanted to end his final days well. He would rather be eaten of lions and to miss out in fellowship with the Lord. I want you to think tonight, what would stop you praying to the Lord? Would you tonight have a place for prayer? Would you tonight publicly pray? Have a period set, discipline, a posture adopted. Offer praise because you've got a purpose. You refuse to miss out communion with God. Think of this as we finish, our time is gone. Not only Daniel's desire for prayer and Daniel's description in prayer, but think of Daniel's decision to pray. You see, those words, as he did aforetime, remind me of Daniel's habitual practice. This is a pattern of his life. Daniel 6 and 10 is a summary. This is the key to his man's life. The devil is doing all his power to stop Daniel praying. But Daniel felt the need to pray. The psalmist said, for my love, they became my adversaries, but I gave myself to prayer. You see, nothing was going to stop Daniel praying. Daniel was told, stop praying or face death. But he was a man in touch with the Lord. He was not a one day a week prayer warrior. He prayed three times a day. He felt the need to pray. And you know, there's a battle going on. There's a spiritual war in Northern Ireland. The devil is busy. The minions of hell are busy. And we need to make this decision that Daniel made and give ourselves to prayer. Oh, I pray that God would raise up a band of prayer warriors in our carried off free church. And that God would set our souls in fire, giving us the spirit of grace and supplication to seek his face in such a way that we might even be touched with the blessing and the power of our God. I commend this message to you. This is really, as we have said, the key to Daniel's prayer life. This is a pattern, this is a summary. Let's see that we have this desire. Let's follow this description of Daniel. And let's make this decision that nothing is going to stop us meeting with God not even upon pain of death. The Lord bless you tonight.